The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Okay, so we'll look at the passage. It's on the inside of your outline. Starts off at Revelation 12. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads, and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne, The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea and they saw a beast coming out of the sea. It's very hard not to believe that there's something going wrong with the world we live in, isn't it? Uh, It's so beautiful, it's so wonderful, and yet there's something so deeply flawed with it. Every culture has its horrors. Uh, The noble savage that the Europeans were not about turned out to be both noble and savage. Um, You go to the very best institutions, uh, Bernardo's homes and things like that set up at enormous sacrifice, and then you discover... I'm not just. I'm not picking on bananas any particular. That there you find children being abused. They're set up to care for children. All sorts of orphanages. All sorts of good things set up. UN soldiers raping the people they're supposed to protect. You know the very best things that we do seem to go wrong. And people noted with horror during the 20th century that the most educated, the most cultured community, uh, culture that we knew of was at the centre of some of the worst abuses and horrors of the 20th century. There's something wrong. And the question is, how deep is the problem? And how do you analyse it? And do you think there's an answer to it? I've shared in a different context about a friend of mine who went to a physiotherapist because he had a sore back. And um, after a while, the physio had done all his magic and nothing had happened. So he began to tell my friend, you know, your problem is not your back, your problem is your heart, probably. Talk about avoiding your responsibilities, you know. 
and um, frightening your patient and telling him he's actually got a heart problem and he's clearly got a back problem. Well, my friend's father had died from a heart attack when he was quite a young man. So my friend went off to the doctor and within two days he had quadruple heart bypass surgery. And he's got quite a handsome scar down the middle of his chest. And so what he was sure and had been irritated by as I saw back was referred pain apparently from his heart. Apparently the heart does that. It doesn't have the ordinary pain receptor, so when it's in trouble it sends pain to other parts of the body to get your attention. So the physiotherapist went from dealing with a sore back to frightening my friend with the news that he was on the, perhaps on the edge of a heart attack, which he was. So although at one level it was very disconcerting and bad news and irresponsible and fear-mongering, if he hadn't had that deep analysis, my friend would have been dead, my friend, his wife, would have been a widow, etc., and I want to suggest to you that's the way the Bible so often works with us. Uh, we sense there's a problem, but we can hardly believe it's as serious as Jesus and the apostles will tell us it is. This is his book, the book of Revelation. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. It's, Jesus, it's what Jesus reveals to John so that he can reveal it to us. It's uh, revealed so it can be written. And we're here at chapter 12. We're only doing four weeks on the book of the, of the Apocalypse the Revelation, which is what the book, the uh, Apocalypse means. And it is generally agreed by scholars, and I want to quote you one of the greatest of the last uh, couple of years on this man, a man called G.K. Beale, who's written a ridiculously big book on the book of Revelation. Uh, it's good, but it's ridiculously big. He says this, Revelation 12, that's the chapter that was just read, Revelation 12 has always been considered as the centre and the key to the entire book. I, I like that when someone says, okay, if we, can, if we can work out this thing, you kind of got the book worked out. So this business about the woman and the baby and the red dragon and the two beasts that come in chapter 13 are the very key to the book and therefore the key to seeing what's really going on in the world which you're thrown into at birth. So first in Revelation 12, the, the hate-fueled dragon. Uh, I don't know if you realise just how hated you are. You, um, few of us have been hated by anyone who wants to hunt us down to harm us, at least consciously. But according to this passage, there is such a person. But he's not the star of the show. Let's have a look at it just briefly, because we've only got a few minutes before we throw it open for questions. He has a series of visions, and the two co-stars are the woman, the glorious woman, and then the, the grotesque dragon, but they're not actually the stars. So he sees a woman, and her clothes are made with sort of... Um, the rays of the sun woven together to form a fairly impressive garment. She's got very nice headgear. She's got, um, well, underneath her shoes. Uh, and she's got 12 stars in her head. And as Al mentioned last week, whenever you see the number 12 in the book of Revelation, it's the people of God, almost without exception. And uh, this is a, a woman, I take it, it's almost certainly Israel. She's pregnant. That's the key thing. She's about to become a mother. She is a mother. She's about to give birth. She's uncomfortable apparently in verse 2 verse 3 then I saw an enormous red dragon with seven heads ten horns and seven crowns on his head now our problem is this it's hard to take dragons seriously in our culture isn't it you know they're, they're mascots for um, honest enterprises like banks stupid football teams that can't work out if you are called St George your mascot cannot be a dragon right? St George and the dragon are inveterate they're enemies um, but, you know, it's St. George. So. Um, but, you know, they're mascots. Um, and perhaps 
the way to understand the dragon, because they weren't seen to be cute little cuddly things that you trained or whatever in the days. This was, the, the best way to see it, I think, is a bit like a, um, like one of those, a Tyrannosaurus Rex. They, they're not cute. I suppose they can make cuddly, cute toys for, out of anything. But the Tyrannosaurus Rex, if there was one of those roaming around, you know, Pitt Street, whatever, we would be anxious uh, when we came outside. But it's worse than that. It's an enormous dragon. It's red, which is an inflamed colour of danger. It's a very beautiful colour, red like most other colours. But here it's a symbol of danger, like the redback, our, our own, one of our natives. He has seven heads. So if you see this, this fellow here, if you can imagine a creature like that, not just with one nasty big set of jaws, not just with two, but with seven. I think there's a three-headed dog in um, uh, Harry Potter, which is ugly enough. You've got a seven-headed dragon. It is enormous, it is grotesque, it is dangerous, and it's trying to help the woman. It's offering to be the midwife. Verse 4, the dragon stood in front of the woman. What's the woman doing? She's giving birth. And she's about to give birth. What's his intention? Well, it's far from honourable. So that it might devour her child the moment he was born. It's not just that the, the dragon with its seven heads is there as the midwife. Gloves on, no doubt. And it wants to kill the baby. That's ugly enough. It wants to eat the baby. Crunch the bones, drink the blood. It's about as grotesque an image as you can get. And um, this is the picture that we have of what's going on. But then you get to the real star, verse 5. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who, and it's in quotes, because it is a quote, will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Now, as we've mentioned, the way to understand the book of Revelation is the same way to understand any other part of the Bible. Not to go, oh, I wonder what that means. That reminds me of something I saw in a movie once. No, no, no. You go back to the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament. And this this is a quote from one of the favourite psalms of the Jews at that time. It's one of the great Messiah psalms of the coming king. And in Psalm 2 it has this phrase about the coming king. He will rule the nations with an iron scepter. This is undoubtedly the Messiah, the Christ, it's Jesus. The woman is giving birth and there's someone, the dragon, who seeks to kill her. The child was snatched up to God, to his throne. So there's the life of Jesus covered in a split second. Birth. The lamb, who is the lion that we looked at a few weeks ago, is at the throne. What, what this is saying is that there is someone who wants to kill Jesus, wants to destroy Jesus. He really doesn't care about the woman. It's not the woman he's concerned about, it's the child he's concerned about. Who is this dragon? And what's he going to do now? Because he will uh, continue to operate. He can't kill the baby, so he's, very, he's, he's cranky. So the woman is hidden... The angels come and fight against the dragon. He loses. The dragon loses. And then, if you want to know who the dragon is, there's very few times when in the Revelation it will tell you. It's so important that you understand who this is and what's really happening in the world that you're born into, that you understand that the baby that the dragon was trying to kill is Jesus Christ the Messiah, who is now the the lion and the lamb. And who is this dragon? The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent. Takes you back to Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. What does he do? He leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. The dragon was enraged at the woman 
and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who are the rest of her offspring? Those who keep God's commandments and hold fast to the testimony about Jesus. So the grotesque sort of T-Rex, giant, horrible, violent, hate-filled, baby-eating, or attempting to baby-eat, is constantly frustrated. You see this work itself out in history, of course, when you come to Christmas, don't you? Uh, the Christmas story is a, is a realistic story. It's not all as cute as the cards. And one of the terrible parts of the story is Herod, the ruler of that part of the earth, tried to murder Jesus. And in order to try and kill him, he killed every baby of about the right age. What's known and mourned in the church each year as the, as the slaughter of the innocents. There is this hatred in the hearts of some rulers, the great, this great sort of pretending ruler, against the baby. Well, who is this? It is the devil. I don't know if you believe in the devil or you take the devil seriously. Some of us tend to do with the devil what has happened with dragons. We've made him kind of cute and harmless, the sort of thing that people wear costumes of. Which, if you, people only knew how, what he was up to, would be about as foolish as an Orthodox Jewish person wearing, you know, Nazi uniforms as a joke. You only joke about the devil if you're still blind. The devil is no joke. Um, at least not according to Jesus. Jesus speaks of him as a murderer in John 8. Why do Christians believe in the devil? Only because Jesus does. Not that we can see the devil. In fact, we're going to look in a few seconds back. You can't see the devil. He works through proxies. He works through puppets now. But Jesus says that he is a murderer and a liar. It's a consistent picture all the way through the Bible. It's interesting. He works by lying. His intention is to kill, always. That's what Jesus says in John 8. So um, I don't know whether or not you believe in the devil. And of course, whether or not you believe in the devil doesn't mean he exists or not. It's just an indication of whether or not you're in touch with reality. There's a very deep problem at saying there's a huge war going on. There's an ugly, enormous red dragon. And um, let's go back. Well, let's see what he does because um, he's he's cranky. He's a loser, this guy. He's lost very badly because he tries to eat the baby and he can't. He tries to kill the woman a few times and he can't. He he has a fight with other angels and he loses that battle as well. He's one bad-tempered, sulky dragon at this point. And... uh, Powerful people who are losing and sulky can be dangerous. So this guy goes off to fight with who? Well, he goes off to fight with Christians, doesn't he? Those who hold on to the testimony of Jesus. It's not that he, not that he wants Christians' devotion or love. He's not that, not that subtle. Uh, he hates them because of their connection to the Christ child that he couldn't kill. So that is who he pursued. How does he do it? How will he work? Well, chapter 13 will tell you. And he works through two great beasts, B1 and B2. And we don't have enough time to, to look at that. We'll throw it open for questions in just a moment. But B1, uh, if you have a look at Revelation 13:1, there, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and each had, had, head had a blasphemous name. In the verses uh, in between there, it talks about that, the, that this beast is basically powerful. Uh, people say, who can, who can fight with the beast? Who can defeat the beast? He's a picture of political power. And the political power is used to frighten people and to crush, particularly, his, his particular focus is people who are related closely to the Christ child that he couldn't kill. It is, the, again, the, the Christians, which is why if you become Christian, you may find your life gets more difficult 
as well as more joyful and peaceful. So he says in verse 10, down the bottom of the page there, this calls for patience, patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. They're really told quite clearly in that section of Revelation 13 that they will be killed, that they will be crushed, that they're not offered magic safety, but they're called to courage. It's worth it to die for Jesus. And Christians have rightly seen this in the power of Rome, which was turned against the Christians for hundreds of years. And then they felt it when the Germanic tribes came through and slaughtered um, what was left of the Roman Empire, which had become vaguely Christian then. They felt it at times with the Vikings. Great swathes of the Middle East felt it with the Islamic armies that came through and conquered and captured and you know, great masters of what was then the Middle East, which was Christian by choice. Um, it was hard not to think of it like that. This was the beast when you were dealing with Hitler, Stalin... Uh, all these people who did turn their face directly and explicitly against Christians. Uh, some silly atheists uh, at this point, like, like Christopher Hitchens, they argue that there's nothing inherently atheistic about, um, uh, nothing inherently anti-Christian about atheism and Marxism. Of course, there is. And uh, his brother writes about um, this thing called the League of the Militant Godless which operated in Russia, particularly destroying Christians and Christian churches and Christian, they turned the churches into toilets and places like that, deliberate acts of uh, offence. The League of the Militant Godless. Now this, is, this beast is then helped in his fearful work by B2. Verse 11. I saw a second beast, as if one isn't enough, coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It performed great signs, even causing fire to come down out of heaven. Verse 14, because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honour of the first beast who was wounded. B2 works with B1. One is just sheer political power that works through fear, and B2 works through religious deception, and they work together. They saw that perfectly in the Roman Empire, where you had the, the religious cult, where they were supposed to worship the emperor. And a lot of Christians were put to death and we've got the writings of some of the um, uh, pagan governors who were confused about what to do with Christians because they were model citizens. They just wouldn't take part in the worship of the emperor. And therefore many of them were put to death where there was this religious cult tying together with uh, secular power. And we see that still with the, the, the mashing together of sort of ultimate religious devotion and political power. And these things are used by the red dragon. You won't see the devil, you know, doing things. He works by proxy. The Bible tells you that. Uh, it's simply saying that what you see on the political landscape, which, which may well get worse and worse as we head up towards the day when Christ returns, is his proxies at work. That the problem is deeper than we would like it to be. Uh, the power is enduring. It, it will resurface. Beasts will die. Beasts will come. And they will be empowered by the dragon. And the question is whether or not you think this whole book is a nonsense and Jesus is talking utter rubbish when he talks about the devil. Is he deceived or are we deceived when we think the problem is really just better education and you know, more social work, better toilet training? Uh, the optimism at the beginning of the 20th century is tragic, that people really did believe. And so the Prime Minister of England and the President of America at that period have got the most extraordinarily tragic statements about what a near-perfect century, the 20th century, would be uh, because of our advances, and yet the beasts simply reshape and come again. And the question is, what's really underneath? 
This book is saying it's the red dragon and his proxies that are shaping so much of history and making life so difficult for so many. And it's a question of whether or not you want to embrace this difficult truth, as my friend had to do with his sore back. But it wasn't just the sore back. It was more dangerous. Now, you will see this beautifully in that wonderful movie. It's the first of three. You can avoid two and three, I think. Um, but this is the great moment when Neo has got a sense that there's something wrong with the world. It's got a, there's a splinter in his mind. He can't, something's wrong and he can't work. And he gets offered this option, which is not unrelated. This is your last chance. After this, there's no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to do. You take the red pill. You stay in one life. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. You won't find the truth in a pill, you will find it in the words and the revelation from Christ who is the faithful and true witness. Well, let's throw it open to questions now. Cool. If there are any questions, feel free to SMS them to the number on the screen. Or if you'd like, um, you can write a question down on a slip of white piece of paper inside your outline. And my colleague Peter will will grab this one right there. This is a a question from the passage which we read out. Verse 6. What does the 1,260 days, um, what do they stand for? Uh, And that's when the woman is uh, taken away to a a place prepared by God. Mm. Well, the 1,260 days stands for three and a half years. I think that's right which is half of seven, which is a perfect number. And apart from that, I can't tell you. It stands for something, but I'm yet to work out what it stands for. If it's any relief, I don't think it matters to the rest of the story. Because the story then focuses on the beasts, the two beasts. And they will, we'll touch on them again next week when we see what happens to the beast. It keeps talking about the first beast, but the second beast gets renamed three times as the false prophet making it clear that one beast is pure imperial muscle power and the other is religious deception. But I don't know what what the answer to that is. Um, It doesn't mean that there isn't a very good answer and it also doesn't mean that the first person who gives you an answer is giving you the right answer. Um, In Revelation, there seem to be various events. There's a battle uh, particularly. Uh, When do these events, or when was it taken those events from the Revelation, when are these events happening? In this particular chapter? Yes. Well, the interesting thing, if you look at Revelation 12, is no, we don't see that. We don't see the dragon and the glorious woman and the child who is born and taken straight to heaven. Uh, this is all happening in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm, but it's, it, it's, it's clearly echoed in events that happen on the planet. That Israel, you know, the, the people of God, the, tw- the Lady of the Twelve Stars, 
It gives birth, in a sense, Israel's greatest work is giving birth to the Messiah. And uh, that there is this immediate hostility. The darkness hates the light. In Revelation, sorry, in Genesis chapter 3, right back in the story of the, of the creation and when the world goes wrong, and it goes wrong because of the red dragon, right, the ancient serpent. And right there, in just this sort of mysterious thing, God says to the woman that you know, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. So right at the beginning of the Bible is the promise that a serpent head crusher will be born through the woman. Uh, and the man sort of left out of the picture of that scene in Genesis 3. And I think what happens is the devil is aware that this head crusher is coming. And, you know, the best thing to do if you're about to get crushed is to crush the crusher. Which is what I take it as happening. The devil is frightened of the promise being fulfilled, so he seeks to thwart it. But God protects the Messiah from that sort of killing. And in the end, as we'll see next week, the red dragon and the beasts are dealt with by the child who he sought to kill. So it's, a, so it's sort of not happening in ordinary time, that first story, but the beasts are working themselves out. There are various forms of the beast, I think, at work on the earth at the moment. Um, I think it was quite right for Christians to see at times the Roman... In fact, it would have been obvious to the first Christians that this is Rome, with both its religion and its sort of military might crushing the church. And... I think I mentioned the other week, it's almost impossible for us to realise how terrifying it was for the first group of Christians, just a few thousand scattered in homes across you know, the ancient world, across Turkey and Greece, etc., to have the Roman Empire say, you're dead. But of course now, we name our dogs after the Caesars, children after the apostles. And in the end, you know, the Roman Empire is gone, but other forms of the beast keep coming back. Here's another question. Uh, looking kind of picking up on what you said there, Ian, about the, the male child, the son, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Mm. This, this person who you said was Jesus seems to be quite like another military power. Are we just exchanging one beast for another beast? Well, you are certainly... You have a choice of powers. That's all there is to it. The universe is not yours. And you simply have a choice of allegiances. You either, you either return to your ancient created allegiance, which is to the God who made you and owns you, who gave you every drop of water, every bit of oxygen, and there is simply no neutral place. If you, if you choose not to give your alignment to God, uh, the Bible's quite clear, Jesus is quite clear, you, you, do, you have chosen, knowingly or not, to belong to the kingdom of darkness. Um, the passage that I was converted by reading um, is 1 John 3 which actually says you are either a child of God or you are a child of the devil I had two thoughts on already that that is insane to argue that it's that clear um, but in the end I can't it it's either just the most stupid thing you've ever read or it is the word of God and it's certainly the view of Jesus that if you do not give your allegiance to the power of God and Jesus you have given your allegiance to the powers that are opposed to God. So yes, you, you have a choice of who you belong to. You, you can delude yourself you belong to yourself. It's a little bit like Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, Tolkien, as you know, is a Christian man. Um, I think the fascination with movies like that is that humans, I think, have a sense of a, that we are involved in something big. 
Uh, and in Lord of the Rings, you either fight against the forces of evil or you get devoured eventually. If you choose not to fight, you've chosen to die. And so the only question in the end is, what side would you be on? And I think Tolkien gets that sense. And I think humans have got that sense of drama because we're, we are actually born into a drama. Yes, but you do only have a choice of what power you go under. And the last thing on this is the power of Jesus is shown that the lion is the lamb who was slain. That uh, his power is trustworthy, it's kind, he loves you. Whereas other powers will pretend to love you, they're like political parties, they'll say all sorts of nice things they'll do for you just to get your vote. And once they've got it, who knows what they'll do. Focusing on the dragon, keep the question come, keep the questions coming because we do have uh, a bit of time. Why does the dragon have the perfect number represented as its as its heads and crowns? Good so question. Number yeah. seven. Then. Yeah, I think they're saying it's completely powerful. That you know, it's, it's impossible to imagine more power uh, flaunting itself around the earth than this beast. So the seven, I don't think, is that we think of perfection as the good. You can be, in the Bible's terms, sort of the perfect thief meaning you're utterly complete. You can do every kind of thievery. Or you can be. You can have the number seven as the assassin. You are the perfect assassin. Um, so I think that's the idea of seven that's saying, this is, this is just, you know, this, this beast has got seven heads. It's just got, it's impossible to be more frightening than this beast. Uh, the Tyrannosaurus Rex with seven heads. I did ask Mark to try and, you know, fix it, but... The five minutes warning I gave him wasn't enough. Uh, in the Bible, uh, Paul is one of the early Christian leaders and he says not to be ignorant about the devil's schemes. Mm. Um, for, in your personal experience, or maybe can you provide some wisdom, what are some practical ways that you think people can be aware of, assuming this revelation yeah. is true? There is a, it's a wonderful verse in 2 Corinthians where it says, we are not ignorant of the devil's schemes or designs or plans. And he's talking there about Christians. He's talking there to people who have believed the revelation that God has given. And he says, so we know the sort of way the devil works. And he, does, he very rarely works directly. He works through proxies. He works through deception and fear. Boy, I tell you what, our society is in the grip of those things all the time. Um, and so he's saying that if, if you have received, if you have welcomed the revelation of Jesus, if you've, as it were, taken the red pill, right, uh, to use the, the uh, matrix picture, uh, you're not ignorant of his designs. He says it to the Christians because they are being forgetful of it. And, and which is true of Christians. A person can be, as it were, on the lion side, on the lamb side, but forget. As often as enough, we can, we can forget in our culture the reality of the spiritual world. It seems, this world seems so real, it's all engulfing. It's one of the reasons why atheism has only ever thrived in the cities, where you can sort of forget just how vulnerable and weak you are, and just be surrounded by either the magnificent of sort of Athenian um, architecture or of Sydney's architecture. But um, we're not ignorant of what he's up to. And his basic work is, Jesus in John 8 is the best on this, as always. He is a murderer. He murders by lying to you. Lying to you first about the character of God is the first thing we realise. That God is to be avoided at all costs. Whereas God is actually to be embraced above all else. 
The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.